0: I would like to introduce to you uh, Professor Christopher Malikani of the University of Advatisrand, who will discuss the role of savings in our country and how this grows an economy. Um, it's clear from what uh, Peter has just described that growth is an absolute necessity. Professor Malikani received his PhD from the New School for Social Research in New York in 2007 and his master's degree from Fordham University through the Fulbright Scholarship Program. Among the awards he received are the Edith Henry Johnson Memorial Award for Outstanding PhD Dissertation in Economics, New School for Social Research, New York, 2007. His current areas of interest are monetary policy, business cycles, political economy, and financial economics. He has published in international journals and in book chapters. Among his recent published articles are a behavioral macroeconomic model of exchange rate fluctuations with complex market expectations formation. Um, computational economics, the new Keynesian Phili- uh, Phillips curve, endogeneity and misspecification, applied economics, price and liquidity puzzles of a monetary stock, evidence from indebted African countries, as well as economic modeling. He is the director of the Macroeconomics and Financial Analyst Group at, at a research unit in the School of Economic and Business Sciences at WITS, and he teaches the following courses economics at principles level. Um, advanced macroeconomics as well as portfolio theory. Professor Malikani was a member of the first National Planning Commission between 2010 and 2012, as well as the Gauteng Planning Commission between 2010 and 2012. He was also economics political advisor to KOSATU between 2009 and 2012, as well as a member of the advisory panel for the Minister of Economic Development. Professor Malikani reviews international evidence on the determinants of savings behavior with a focus on evidence from developing countries. The aim of his presentation is to draw lessons for South Africa. He will cover the motives for private savings and the role of savings in an economy in general. He will provide a summary of theories of savings behavior. I do warn you, there are numerous forms in this section. He will also provide empirical evidence on the determinants of savings rates we will also critically discuss the empirical results from studies that focus on South Africa and conclude with some policy recommendations based on his analysis of international evidence and the South African situation. Professor Malikany,
1: thank you. Thanks, Costa, for a nice introduction. Um, thank you, uh, colleagues, for giving me this opportunity. The work that I will be presenting to you is work that was basically initially funded by the MMI holdings um, because they wanted to understand what the academic literature says are the determinants of uh, savings, private households and corporate um, across the world and to begin to learn how these uh, factors that drive savings impact on the South African um, economy. So the starting point was for us to basically do a survey of what the literature says are the, is the role of savings in an economy. And um, there's a general view um, that uh, savings are a source of funds for, for capital accumulation and, uh, and long-run economic growth. And this this idea can be found in the classical writers uh, like Adam Smith, David Ricardo, uh, Karl Marx. Um, basically, these authors, particularly Marx, Marx's theory of economic growth says that um, the savings rate of an economy is basically the product of, of the savings rates of entrepreneurs times the, the rate of profit. So if you want to get a rough idea of um, what the savings rate should be of entrepreneurs. Uh, Just get the average rate of profit of the South African economy, and on the left-hand side, you'll have your growth rate, and then you can divide by the rate of profit to get roughly what the savings rate is supposed to be in order to to deliver the growth rate that you desire. And subsequent authors, of course, um, have put savings, particularly the savings rate, uh, as a determinant of growth in 1986, an economist by the name of Roma, uh, reintroduced the savings rate as, as a factor that drives economic growth. Um, before then, between 1867, i.e., between Marx and, and Roma, they developed other theories as well, uh, Kinzen theories, uh, but a theory that became very, very influential was what you call the neoclassical growth theory. And interestingly, that theory basically says that the savings rate has no impact on the long-run growth rate of the economy. And the growth rate of the economy is determined by the growth rate of the labor force and the rate of technical progress. There's no role for savings. And uh, it was a big gap in the literature because it is well known that savings rates do influence the growth rate. And it was in 1986 that that modification was, 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 was made by, by Roma. Savings are also important for consumption smoothing from the household side and the provision of bequests passing wealth from one generation to, to the other is, is, is what savings do. And uh, Keynes, if you look at Keynes's book, it goes into detail on the motives for saving by both households and, and corporates. And those are some of the reasons, the motive for enterprise, uh, the need for liquidity improvement, um, financial prudence, and so forth. Uh, people, when they see firms that have got surpluses, they tend to think that those firms uh, are well-run, and so they can cushion (laughs) uh, investors against uh, adverse shocks that may hit those firms, even households themselves, when they do consumption smoothing through savings, they basically want to uh, cushion themselves against adverse shocks. So, then we went through various theories of savings. And those are some of the theories. There are theories that are based on the macro balance, uh, macroeconomic balance, which is what Peter was talking about when someone asked the question, uh, why is investment above uh, savings in South Africa? And then Peter said that it's because of the import of capital through the current account. The the first equation there explains precisely that point, where we say that the savings rate, uh, that is the private savings rate, in the economy, must be equal to the investment rate, uh, where Y is basically GDP. Um, uh, and then the second part um, is um, is is what happened? Oh, the second part of the equation is the government saving. So if government is running uh, deficits, government will have to finance those deficits, and they will have to be taken from from savings, private savings, and also uh, deficits on the current account. So if we run deficits on the current account, we need to finance those deficits. And savings then go to financing those deficits. And net capital flows. Of course, those ones, that's what Peter was talking about when he says importation of capital um, to, to, to fill in the savings gap between investment and national savings. So what is this thing saying? This thing is saying that, basically, if government is running uh, that is that will tend to increase national savings, provided that those surpluses are not one-to-one. But, as the equation stands there, if government runs deficits, it will mean that the private sector will have little resources to finance their investment, because part of the savings will be used to finance the government deficit, and little will be left for private sector investment. That's what that equation says. And the second part, of course, is Keynes' theory, which says that the savings rate is determined by the level of of income. As you can see there, if Y increases over time, that will tend to increase uh, savings. Uh, Then the third theory is a theory by Caldo. Peter mentioned something about income distribution. He said that uh, if we redistribute income to the poor, the poor will take that income and consume it because they've got low levels of income to begin with. So Caldo's theory, basically, is the first theory to put income distribution in the savings equation. Uh, that U there is a worker's share in national income. So that one minus U is what Caldo calls the capitalist share in national income. So if you shift income from capitalists to workers, the impact is that you are likely to have a lower savings rate because in Caldo's theory, workers are the poor and the capital, capitalists are the rich. So the income redistribution to the poor is likely to, to lower savings. So that is a big um, thing that we need to, to be aware of. And then there are other theories. The, I can say that in the literature, the dominant theory that is used to, to test or to find what determines savings is the life cycle hypothesis of Modigliani and Brumberg. Uh, That first equation basically says that the savings rate in the economy is determined by the growth rate in a positive way. The higher the growth rate, the higher will be the savings rate. And the second portion, uh, that omega there, is wealth. The higher the wealth, uh, household wealth, for example, or private sector wealth, um, the lower will be the savings rate. The idea there is that if wealth is high, i.e. net wealth is high, then credit constraints are are loose and then people can have access to credit to consume and that will tend to lower uh, the savings rate. And as to the real interest rate, uh, the literature finds that the real interest rate has got ambiguous effects. Um, For an example, uh, others argue that the higher the interest rate, that will encourage people to save more. But others argue that if interest rates are expected to be high, that will tend to lower the expected uh, 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 inflows from expected cash flows from assets and that will lower the incentive for people to save to accumulate those assets. So it depends on whether you view interest rate as expected interest rate or current interest rate. So, but in the literature empirically they, they find that the, the, the impact of the real interest rate is actually ambiguous on the savings rate. And lastly the big factor across the board that we found is the the dependency ratio, which is the ratio of the people who are below the working age plus those that are above the working age, the people who've retired. So the number of people who've retired and the people who are less than 15 years of age divided by the population. That's what is called a dependency ratio. That has a negative impact on on savings because uh, children consume, um, and old people, <laughs> they consume as well. So, so that's, the, that's the idea. And then the other theories, of course, uh, freedmen, uh, permanent income hypothesis, and the Hall's random walk, those ones, they are not used empirically to determine the drivers of savings, although some empirical models do specify them. It is the life cycle hypothesis rate, really, which is the workhorse that is used across many countries to, to test. Now, in terms of the macro balance evidence, it is found that public saving partially offsets private saving, i.e., if the government is running surpluses, those surpluses partially offset, i.e., they tend to partially reduce private saving. And because of that, it means that if you increase public saving, i.e., government run surpluses, overall national savings would increase. That's what that uh, evidence says. And another one is this current account deficits tend to lower private savings. So if a country tends to run current account deficits, remember we'll need those savings to finance these current account deficits. So it tends to then lower. Uh, private savings. This is very important, particularly if you think of a country that is not industrializing or a country whose manufacturing sector is shrinking. That country will tend to import high value added products and export low value added products. So it will tend to run current account deficits and it will tend, therefore, to have a low savings rate. The growth rate um, uh, drives the savings rate um, and also GDP per capita. Uh, drives private savings as well. Inflation and interest rates, these ones have got ambiguous effects. That's what they, we find in the, in the literature. And if they do have, like for example, interest rates, if they do have positive impact, um, the results show that those effects are very weak and they, they are not robust. Um, if you change samples, Uh, you find that it's significant over one sample. In another sample, it's not significant. You change another sample, it changes the sign, it becomes negative as well. So so generally, the literature uh, uh, reveals that the macroeconomic variables like interest rates, inflation rates, they tend to to have ambiguous effects on uh, private savings. Terms of trade, uh, adverse terms of trade tend to reduce savings. Um, basically what are the terms of trade uh, is the price of what you export divided by the price of what you import. So we think about uh, developing countries, for example, they tend to export low-value-added products, raw minerals and so forth, and import high-value-added products like uh, manufactured equipment and so forth. So if the price of commodities drops, it means that you've got uh, adverse terms of trade. And that tends to lower your savings rate as a as country. And that goes back to the current account and it worsens your, your current account as well. Demographics um, dependency across all the studies that we've uh, um, uh, looked at uh, lowers private savings. And the uh, urbanization as well tends to lower private savings. And the reasons for urbanization to lower private savings. Is because of the costs of living, the cost of living in urban areas tends to be relatively high uh, compared to rural areas, so that um, uh, lower savings as well. Access to credit, um, as the life cycle hypothesis said, um, if you have access to credit, that will tend to lower savings. So what we find here is, is that credit constraints raise private savings. I.e., if you have stringent stringent access to credit uh, to households and even private individuals uh, that tends to raise the savings rate because they don't have access to credit to, to consume. Financial development is another variable that uh, tends to raise the savings rate. Financial development is about development of capital markets, financial markets, and so forth. And this is very important for particularly the African continent where capital markets still have to be Developed, uh, people need financial instruments through which they can save, and if those financial instruments are not there, then the the instruments through which people can save are very limited, and that tends to discourage uh, savings. Wealth, uh, wealth lowers savings because there's collateral for credit, and people can use that to access credit, and then they they consume beyond their immediate income. Another factor that was surprising from the literature is financial liberal, liberalization. So, for example, the, when, when the state in the past, in the 80s, 70s, uh, governments used to regulate interest rates keep interest rates low, right? So, in the 80s, there was a move to liberalize um, basically to la- allow interest rates to be determined by, um, by market forces. And the impact of that was that it tended to lower savings. Uh, that's what happened, and uh, actually, as you see, a study in South Africa, it was done by some authors uh, for the World Bank, showed that actually private savings in South Africa declined as a result of uh, financial liberalization. Social security, uh, the structure and financing of social security is important, but uh, the literature finds that uh, the structure of social security um, is ambiguous, has an ambiguous impact, but the financing the financing of Social Security has a definite impact. For an example, as Peter was mentioning, if you raise uh, taxes for the high income earners in order to finance Social Security for the low income earners, that will tend to lower the savings rate because you are taxing the ones that are saving more to finance the ones that are saving less. So if you shift income through Social Security, from the high-income earners to low-income earners, that will tend to, to lower the savings rate. This evidence is is particular, particularly widespread in, in Latin America. South Africa, as I mentioned before, um, that study by Aaron and Wellpower, 2000, uh, from the World Bank Economic Review, found that uh, financial liberalization actually Uh, lowers the private savings rate in South Africa. And what they found is that uh, the corporate savings in South Africa rose after financial liberalization, but household savings uh, declined. And in fact, this decline that uh, Peter was mentioning is not just a recent phenomenon. This decline started in the early 1980s. Uh, Household savings uh, started declining in the early 1980s, and it has not recovered ever since. It's on a Downward trend. Real interest, uh, the growth rate, the growth rate uh, drives private savings. Uh, that is the study by a uh, fairly recent, 2007. Uh, real interest rate uh, are ambiguous, an uh, ambiguous impact on uh, on private savings. Other authors find a positive impact, and others found find a negative impact. So there's no robust relationship between uh, interest rates and uh, the savings rate. Um, Household savings are partially offset by public savings, which means that if government runs surpluses, it will tend to raise national savings because it partially offsets uh, private savings, not a one-to-one relationship. However, the big weakness with South African studies is that they don't look at the demographic uh, factors like dependency, urbanization, as well as the structure and the financing of social security. Those variables have not been included in the, in the, in the studies. So briefly, uh, what are the drivers of savings? Right. Um, number one, demographics matter. Right. We need to find a way to plan population growth and to forecast population growth. And we need to manage urbanization through the provision of uh, affordable public infrastructure i think that will go a long way in releasing funds for urban households for savings um, we know that most of the households they spend at least a third of their income uh, on public transport so there's very little really that they can save but the provision of public transport that is affordable and efficient can not just raise their savings rate but also improve their pro- productivity in the economy um the growth rate drives savings. Um, the view, the classical view is that the savings rate drives the growth rate. It is correct in the long run. However, what has been found, the, here is the, there's a paper by Roderick, uh, which we ref, we'll reference in the, in the bigger paper upon which these uh, slides are based. Um, it shows that the fast-growing Southeast Asian economies, they managed fundamentally to raise their savings rate by having a proper growth strategy. So if you have faster economic growth, you are like that is the most powerful factor to drive your savings rate. And that is the, 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 the work by Daniel Roderick. And how did they do it? They did that by raising entrepreneurial profit rates. So if the profit rates of entrepreneurs are high, the incentive to invest will be high. And hence, the growth rate of the economy will tend to be high. And that will spill over into rising incomes and higher savings. Um, and the, the implication here is clearly that uh, perhaps we need to look at our growth strategy as a country in order to raise our savings rate, and, 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 and not the other way around. And try to make people to save more in the context where the growth rate is, is going down. So maybe we, we need to think of, of this uh, uh, in the reverse. Inflation and real interest rates have ambiguous I- Im- impacts. And so I would really say that um, to base policies, um, interest rate, uh, like savings policies, on these variables will be very risky because internationally they've got ambiguous impacts on savings. Fiscal surpluses raise national savings. However, we need to be careful on how we raise these fiscal surpluses. They cannot be raised on the basis of simply cutting government spending because if you just cut government spending, that will reduce aggregate demand in the economy and can have an adverse impact on the, on the private sector. So what needs to happen, in my view, I think there needs to be improvements on the efficiency of public spending. Um, um, and improvements, of course, on the, on the impact Uh, the the, the structure of the spending. Where where, where do we spend on, right? And the Minister of Finance has consistently raised concerns that uh, the spending is more on the consumption side of of government spending. It's not on the investment side. So if government spending is redirected towards more infrastructure spending and the efficiency cut down uh, the corruption and so forth, then that can improve our, um, our savings rate. The structure and financing of social security matters um, as we mentioned before, um, uh, if you tax the rich or you tax the high income earners to finance social security for the low income earners, that can have perverse impacts on savings. So perhaps what we need to be talking about is maybe we need some mandatory re- uh, savings uh, for everyone who works. There's nothing that stops, uh, I think, even those that are earning 1,000 rands a month. Uh, to put aside something like 20 rents as a means of beginning to inculcate that culture of saving. But to say that people, um, they don't have to save, uh, they can consume all their income or they can just take all their income without any some mandatory requirement might be um, a problem. So people must be encouraged to save no matter how small their levels of income are. And this is the the, 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 the method or the policy that has been um, uh, adopted in, in Singapore. There's a certain proportion of income that everybody who's working is, is saving and that in that proportion of income is then transferred to a national savings fund. Structural current account deficit lower the savings rate. Um, we've been running current account deficits for a long period of time. If there are surpluses, it has been for a small period of time, but If you look at the South African data on the current account deficit, it's just deficits for years and years. So there needs to be a way of addressing that. And uh, one issue that we need to raise is the issue of industrial policy as we mentioned. If you look at our manufacturing sector in South Africa, it has been declining as a proportion of GDP. Since 1994, it declined from about 20% of GDP to now less than 11% of GDP. So our capacity as the country to add value to our exports is getting is shrinking year after year. It it is it it's structured, the way when you look at the trends, it looks like the savings rates, the household savings rates. So there is a need to, to industrialise and not to de industrialise. And then this, there's this issue of foreign ownership. Um, no country that we've looked at in the literature have raised their savings rates with excessive foreign ownership of its big industries. Because if you have excessive foreign ownership of big industries, that's where you've got your profits and your profits then get exported. And your capacity, the resource for you to save gets limited. Um, We ask ourselves a question, how did the South Koreans um, engage in faster growth or experience faster growth? They experienced faster growth on the basis, firstly, of suppressing the the, the wage, and using the surplus that they generated to reinvest and reinvest and build industries and reinvest. There was minimal export of profits in those economies. And that is a big issue that we, as South Africans, need to look at. We need to look at our national accounts. If you look at our national accounts, you'll see the degree of um, profit outflows as a result of massive foreign ownership. And another issue, of course, tied to that, is that if we don't have control over our natural resources, right, it means that we cannot direct our natural resources to local industries to industrialize and add value so that we export high value added products. So if you keep on having our natural resources being controlled by big foreign owned companies and firms, the impact of that is that those natural resources are going elsewhere to build industries elsewhere and increase and maintain high savings rates elsewhere. So these are the big issues that we need to talk about. Institutional reforms. Some countries have got uh, sovereign wealth funds. Uh, Countries like uh, Chile, um, Nigeria, Botswana, they've got sovereign wealth funds. Um, If you look at those countries, those countries are rich in mineral resources. Chile's fund was based on their copper, copper resources, copper exports. Um, Nigeria is based on oil, Botswana is based on diamonds. South Africa has no sovereign wealth fund. Yet, this country has 90% of the world's platinum. We've got 75% of the world's chromium. And we've got 80% of the world's manganese. We can go on and on and on. This country is rich in, in natural resources. Yet, we don't have a, a sovereign wealth fund through which we can save as a nation. And why is that the case? It's because. These mineral resources are not controlled by South Africans. Unemployment raises the dependency ratio. So high unemployment rates, uh, Peter mentioned this, it's a big factor. I mean, if you look at the general household survey, it says that 77% of the unemployed rely on the income of the employed to survive, 77% of the unemployed. So unemployment rate on its own, is a constraint on savings if people are not employed they've got no income to save so those are the few points that I would like to make on the determinants of of savings thanks
0: Thank you very much, Professor. Um, I'll open the floor for some questions. We have about 15 minutes or so before tea time and I encourage you to to raise questions um, for the Professor's attention. Okay, We have a question in the back there.
1: Thank you. My question is based on the last uh, issue which you touched, uh, control of uh, natural resources. I think that is a big uh, issue today uh, by foreign capitals, but the big question is, if we keep control of the natural resources and we know very well that we've got a problem with shortage of skills to refine or to work on those minerals or whatever we do to give us the income we need, what would be the best resource? Because I think skills, you have the infrastructure in South Africa, but the skills is one of the biggest problems that is causing all these things you have discussed. The, this question is very, very important. And I think uh, we need to look at it critically. If you look at um, medium, in fact, management of, um, let's say the mining companies, um, you'll find that actually it's South Africans who are managing, the engineers in those mines, right? The workers and so forth. So South Africa does have the skills um, to run those enterprises. The issue is the benefits. Once the mineral is out, who benefits from that? So let's look at the the mines, for example. Even the banks. It is South Africans who are actually um, running the bulk of the bank's operations. So in my view, I think the skills issue is is being um, a, 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 what, exaggerated. Skills shortage is being exaggerated. Uh, we do have capacity as South Africans, and not as uh, as government. As South Africans, there is the skill that that is there, that is currently running these companies. The issue is the the benefits of of this. It's a it's a painful situation because um, I remember there was an accident um, in in Caltonville, there was a mine that collapsed. It is South Africans, without foreign aid, it is South Africans who managed to rescue the miners underground with their own technology. So this country does have the skills. Uh, It's just that we we are not in firm control, in control of of our natural resources. This does not mean that, does not say that um, the broader South African population does have skills. No, we, t- we still have to work hard in improving our education system. But given the skills that we have, we are capable as South Africans to run these companies. We've been running them anyway. I mean, we, we rent us all. Um, ESCO in, 19, in 1987, if you look at the states, ESCO in 1987 um, was number seven in the world in terms of steel production, number seven, this country was ranking high in the world. It was South Africans who were running those companies. There is a skill. It's just that we need to harness it, direct it, and make sure that what it produces benefits the country as a whole.
2: Yeah, hi. Um, I just got a few questions regarding um, the idea of savings in in the international perspective. Um, Firstly, I was wondering if the studies were involved looking at the cultural elements of savings. If you look at the Germans versus the Americans, how they uh, view differently the idea of savings, Um, also the idea of how women view um, savings differently to men. And then you've got all these IT people who like to save and control those savings and have total control versus those people who like to sit back and not be involved in the savings process at all. And that gives you the question of compulsory versus um, um, voluntary savings. That has been in, taken t- into account. And then last and least is um, does the idea of compound interest really actually work if somebody suddenly, particularly in an African context, earns nothing for a long, 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 long period and then at the end of the last couple of years so has di- di- ginormous salaries at the end before he gets to retirement. Does that also t- – is that also taken into account in the, st- in the studies? Um, and those are the kind of questions maybe one needs to ask in terms of savings patterns.
0: Did you hear that? Could you, uh, sorry, could you just repeat that? It was just not very clear at the back. Your question wasn't very clear um, to which, us. Uh, which supply. question? So the first, the first part of your question was to just to confirm. Um, is to talk about uh, international experience on savings, uh, yeah. you know, so the Germans like versus the US, for example. Yeah, like the
2: different attitude towards savings. For example, the German attitude versus the uh, American attitude towards savings. Okay. And then the different attitude towards savings of men versus women. Um, there's a definite different uh, look, out, uh, look out of mm. savings. And then looking at those people who are technie savvy, savvy who like to control their savings and how they do the savings. and That brings into question of whether if you bring in more compulsory savings elements into question, whether there might be a deterrent into actually creating more of a savings environment. And then the idea of this um, concept of um, uh, building a a savings element that just of compound interest, not taking into account the people having massive incomes at the end of their working career rather than um, having tiny incomes in the beginning of their, their working career.
1: Yeah. So Most of the studies that um, we, we reviewed are not micro-level studies. For example, they are not looking at, um, at, at a savings behaviour of men and women, but they are more macro-level studies. Looking at household savings in the aggregate, and national savings in the aggregate, or even corporate savings in the aggregate, so they are not micro-level studies. Even the the question of um, what the studies say about uh, attitudes to savings, um, so the studies that we looked at did not say anything about that because they are not um, micro-level studies uh, uh, to 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 savings. Now. In terms of uh, 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 the African context and savings, I think one of the uh, big uh, constraints that we need to look at in the African context is the development of financial markets, capital markets. Um, Because if you look at many countries, uh, financial markets are not that developed. Uh, You find that uh, countries do not even have long-term government bonds through which they can um, uh, mobilize savings. Um, most of the instruments that are there, they are short-term treasury bills that are used to, to finance short-term uh, government uh, financing needs. But most of the countries really rely on foreign aid to finance their deficits. So there is a need for a drive to develop financial markets and financial institutions in in, in the African context. And also, I think one of the things that uh, is missing, particularly in South Africa, when it comes to changing the savings culture, um, is the lack of proper education or the channeling of education to the workers. Um, I've been advisor to COSATU for about four or five years. Uh, I worked with trade unions during that period of time. Um, There is, those, those, those unions, they can serve as powerful conduits through which education can be filtered down to workers. But uh, they have not been um, workshops, really, systematic workshops <coughs> that have been driven by trade unions uh, to encourage savings amongst members. And we know uh, one of the things around the Marikana issue was the role of um, loan sharks, workers being vulnerable to loan sharks, over indebtedness of. Uh, working-class households. Um, That has to do with education, but trade unions in this instance, I think, can be used as powerful institutions through which they can filter down the education to to members and increase the savings culture.
3: Professor, have you seen any studies or um, did you um, come across um, or look for um, in your own studies um, a dissection of where savings are going? So I would imagine saving on your mattress or even saving in gold has a very different impact on the economy to saving in a long-term policy that can be um, invested productively. Um, I've been trying to look for statistics on South Africa lately, and it's been frustrating um, trying to find where this uh, savings is going both in terms of where it's going in and where it's coming out? Because people are saving. Our net savings rate is round about zero. Where is it going in and where is it coming out of? You know?
1: Yeah. I, I think the best approach to check where the savings are going is to use the macroeconomic balance. Um, we need to look at um, those uh, sectors of the economy that are running deficits. Which are those sectors that are running deficits? Because. Um, savings are arising from sectors that are running surpluses to finance deficit sectors so if you look at uh, south africa for example if we are running structurally current account deficits uh, it means that we need to finance those those deficits somehow um, that absorbs uh, deficits uh, savings uh, look at government if government is running deficits government absorbs those um, those savings and then what remains really is what uh, South Africans can finance in terms to, to to undertake investment. If it's not sufficient, then you have to import capital through net capital inflows. So we need to look at uh, which sectors. Is it government that is running deficits? If government is running deficits, it means that government is absorbing the savings. If we're running deficits on the current account, it means that that current account deficit is absorbing absorbing our savings, and then. We need to look at then what have, what then remains. if what remains is less than what we are investing, it means that we are now importing foreign savings to finance the investment gap and I think that 's where South Africa is and, and as we and, 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 and as we run these deficits, it means that we are increasing public debt we are, if government is running def, uh, public deficits, it means that public debt is rising if we are running persistent current account deficits, it means that our foreign debt is persistently rising. It's no wonder that sooner or later uh, we'll have to be downgraded. If we have persistent rising debt, like Peter was showing us, you see that the debts are rising and then they are plateauing, but they're still rising. So as long as we are still having that rising debt, it's not stabilizing. Then it means that we are still running deficits that need uh, savings to be financed and that is the accumulation of debt. If you look at the financial, se- the, the financial sector, for example, how do they fund uh, the distribution of, of their funds, their loans? Interestingly, most of their loans are not going to the manufacturing sector or to the productive sectors of the economy. Most of their loans, they are going to the real estate sector. Um, some of their uh, 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 money that is in the financial system is going to financial speculation, trading, and so forth. Um, It's not going to the productive sectors like agriculture, mining, uh, manufacturing, and so forth. And if if you look at, there's a study that we did, uh, uh, but this one is for the rest of the African continent. We looked at where foreign direct investment is going, which is foreign savings in, in, in the African continent. It's going to the resource industries, like the mineral oil industry. It's not going to the the manufacturing sectors where you can get high value added. So so where savings are going, a channel also tends to reinforce the structure of the economy, which is detrimental to long-term economic growth and savings.
0: Thank you, Professor. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Professor, on behalf of the uh, RMC of... The Actuarial Society of South Africa and the audience that is before you today, I'd like to thank you for the effort that you've made in putting the presentation together and to also give up your very valuable time to come and present to us today and give us a sense as to what it is that encourages savings. Thank you very much. Right, we've had a a very good um, setting in terms of the economy, the political landscape, where we're heading, where we're not heading. We've been been given a sense from the professor as to what it is that encourage um, uh, savings, what are the key drivers of of those savings rates. I'm now going to ask that you go out and spend half an hour um, having a leg stretch, um, a cup of coffee, a cup of tea, and then to come back at about quarter past 11 um, for you to listen to. Uh, the experts as to how one actually goes about saving, Um, how one, you know, the products that are needed to basically ensure the right levels of savings are being made, to the extent that you don't have savings, what is it that you can do to to sustain your income needs. Uh, We have uh, a number of exciting presentations still to come, so thanks very much for your time this morning. Look forward to seeing you here at quarter past 11. Thank you.